1: And if you're going supersonic, you're likely going to be in Kansas.
0: Also, there's a new DOT administrator coming up.
1: And we're going to talk a little bit about CFI oversight.
0: Finally, AOPA and others pushing for more extensions to pandemic SFARs.
1: Ian, it's a new year. Are you ready to do some Hangar Talk?
0: Let's do it, David.
1: From AOPA, your freedom to fly.
0: This is Hangar Talk. 1056, turn right heading 130, counter-back final 132.4. Turn right, guys. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hanger Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tealas. David, you know, it is a new year, like you mentioned. And for a lot of people, that means, you know, resolutions. I know one for me is I want to fly more. I'm a little rusty, I got to admit. And that's good because AOPA and the You Can Fly team has been putting out webinars. And they've been really popular, really, really interesting topics.
1: And one of the top topics, one of the top webinars uh, is the Don't Get Rusty series, Ian. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of fun. I've actually tapped into that myself. Our hosts are Awesome. For folks who are listening to the award-winning Hangar Talk program, and we appreciate y'all, just go to aopa.org, look in the news and media category, or just search for top five Don't Get Rusty webinars, Okay, and you'll learn something, and, and it'll get us all back in gear and might help some folks shape their New Year's resolutions.
0: Yeah. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot. I know you're working on your instrument rating in earnest this year. So we're gonna check in throughout the year and see how you're doing and uh, you know, what's what's coming naturally, what you're struggling with, what you're having fun with, that sort of thing.
1: The gauntlet has been thrown down, Ian. Thanks. I'm gonna just tell all our listeners right now that my initial procedure turns look like what Hirschman would call a bowl of spaghetti. So <laughs> we start to straighten those out and they're going to be, uh, they're going to be a lot better. So anyway, I'm just, uh, I'm psyched. And and it is one of the things that I've been wanting to do for a long time and I will keep us posted.
0: Okay, cool. So that actually kind of throws us to our guest this week, who is Maddie Seymour. Maddie's a young pilot who won a scholarship from AOPA. So she also has gone through the flight training trials and tribulations and, and come out the other side of success.
1: Maddie Seymour was so cool to talk to, Ian. Listen, she's a Michigan student. She's a high school senior. And yes, as you mentioned, she did win one of the AOPA high school scholarships. We have a million dollars worth of scholarships that we give out. And just a reminder to folks that that scholarship application window is open until February 14th. And Maddie specifically has some tips for folks to put in on their scholarship applications. Also, their college applications or job applications. She really has a lot of great tips. They're solid. And she is a new private pilot as of November. She was just awesome.
0: Okay, fantastic. So that'll be coming up a little later, but let's start with the news first time this year. So, something I'm really excited about that sounds a little esoteric, but you're going to love when it comes to reality. And that is special use airspace. Now, I know you've been in this situation. I've been in the situation where you're flying along and you're like, man, is this MOA hot? Is this restricted area hot? You got to go to the, you know, the legend of the chart. If you're still using a chart, find the controlling agency, call them. It's a huge pain. They might not know. Flight service might not know. So AOP has been pushing for a long time to get updated information into the cockpit. And because of the new National Defense Authorization Act, that will now become a reality.
1: Yeah, and we should also let folks know that some of our Capitol Hill champions, like Senator Inhofe, have been behind this because he's a pilot himself. He knows how how crucial this information is, and it really needs to be up to date. You brought up a really good point, Ian. The military, commercial, and and recreational pilots all kind of need to share that that airspace, whether uh, certain areas are in use for special use or not. I just learned, and you mentioned this just a second ago because I am do my instrument training, so I just learned that one controlling agency typically will pass you off to another agency, and they might not know what is happening or hot 100 miles mm-hmm. down the line, so to speak. So even some controllers actually might not be 100% briefed on it. So this could be a huge help to us in the cockpit.
0: That's absolutely right. And so it took me a, a little while to kind of like figure out what this was about. And so I was reading actually Tom Haynes' column about this, and he talked to Tyson from ForeFlight. And I think, you know, obviously, these guys are going to be the ones coding it. And so they, they can envision how it's going to work. And he said it's going to be, he hopes, if, if the FAA gives us the data correctly, essentially like TFRs are now. So it's one color if it's cold, it's another color if it's going to go hot, and then another color if it is hot. And so you can just look at your ForeFlight or Garmin or whatever you use, and just with a quick glance, know exactly what the status of that airspace is going to be.
1: That's gonna be helpful. Also, let's, let's uh, you talked about Tyson Ways a little bit with uh, four flight. Let's also give props to Representative Sam Graves, also a pilot, also a good friend of APA, who helped get this measure, you know, in the four flight as in, into the front of flight technology as well. But I could see that being a real easy thing for us to use and something that we can incorporate into our, our daily pre-flight planning as well. And just a simple, simple different colors would really go a long way to making that just an easy thing to deal with.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, sort of tangentially related, and that is something else that was in the Defense Authorization Act, is, you know, we've talked about Legato a few times, this, you know, sort of Internet of Things ne- nationwide network that they want to create, 5G network that uh, we and others think could, could interfere with the GPS signal. Well, with, you mentioned, some of our friends on Capitol Hill, we're able to put into the bill that if there are any impacts, downstream impacts, Legato would be on the hook for those costs.
1: So, Ian, that is something that is new, and that's something that just bubbled up to the surface with this whole Legato concept, that basically paying for it. And who's going to foot the bill for making sure that this stuff doesn't interfere with our GPS or other safety protocols, and uh, that's a big deal. As everyone's moving towards five G, that's the next technology. It's out there. You know, these are important things. That that frequency block is a key thing.
0: Yeah, I love this because it's really creative. Because you know you can hit it from sort of the regulatory side, and you know the congressional and everything else. But it's like, man, you hit a company where it hurts in the pocket, and it's like, okay, you know, if this happens, you're on the hook. It's like all of a sudden, you know they stand up and notice. So I I think that's really smart and really glad to see that included.
1: Yep. And uh, we'll see what happens with it. Now, I'll I'll guarantee our Hangar Talk listeners that there will be more on this subject.
0: Yeah. So you tease this uh, at the top. Supersonic travel. Now, people may not know, but over the vast majority of the continental United States, supersonic flight is prohibited. And that is because obviously of the boom and, and some of the Downstream impacts like shattered windows that that could cause. So, the, but of course, there's been companies who have been trying to develop some of these supersonic, you know, commercial transports. And so now there is a supersonic corridor above Kansas, or will be soon, I should say.
1: It's like a raceway, Ian, if you look at it. It's a 770 nautical mile long track. It basically goes east to west, west to east, from one side of the state to the other. And it's, it's an area where supersonic aircraft can be tested. And this is a key thing that you brought up because, you know, with the sonic booms that are associated with with supersonic travel, there could be a lot of repercussions, pun intended. Uh, uh. <laughs> but, you know, it's been decades since we've had a viable SST, a, you know, supersonic transport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as we look at, at you know, technology that we're adding in the near future, this is a key thing to have a place to test that stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose not coincidentally, it covers right over Wichita. So Uh it's like right in the middle. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, developers could base out of Wichita and obviously uh, go up out of there and and fly the corridor so that it'll be interesting to see how that's used. It's not, it reminds me of the, you know, the drone areas that FAA established in order to do some, you know, beyond line of sight drone testing around the country.
1: Yeah. I got a question for you though. What if I'm flying at about 10,000 feet? I'm putting you on the spot. Am I going to be in that corridor or not?
0: Good point. You will not. Uh, It is what? It's way up in the flight levels. 39,000 and above. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. The other thing that's happened along that SST Avenue that you were talking about was that the FAA has issued a new rule about development. So of course, anytime you get this new type of technology that comes along, there's got to be rules. And so FAA has put out new rules that are going to be kind of a roadmap for these companies to follow in order to get approved.
1: I think that we're going to have a lot more development in this realm in the future. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since we've heard about supersonic transports, but just in the past couple of years, several companies have been ardently developing these type of, of aircraft. And it's a good thing that we've set some special airspace aside for them. Maybe that stuff will be noted,
0: you know, with a special use airspace yeah. that we just <laughs> talked about, you know. That's right. That's right. It'll be a new, uh, new type of airspace. Hey, moving on. uh, Speaking actually of of rules, you know, obviously that rule came out of of DOT through the FAA. And Elaine Chao has been the head of DOT is, of course, moving on. She has already resigned. And with the Biden administration being sworn in very shortly, there will be a new transportation secretary. And it was announced that Pete Buttigieg is the candidate.
1: And uh, Mayor Pete has expressed an interest in 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 aviation and learning how to fly. In one of the interviews that he had, he said that he always wanted to learn how to fly. So this could be something good for us yeah. as aviators. And I, I did want to remind our podcast listeners that some of the transportation secretaries have not had any aviation background and have still done a good job. In fact, Secretary Chow did a pretty good job. You and I were talking about this during our show notes segment. That, you know, so many different safety protocols have been instituted in the last several years, Uh, things like angle of attack and things that we could use as general aviation pilots. And that is an indication of there being a much more open mind at FAA and DOT.
0: Yeah, I think, you know in a lot of ways, DOT is kind of nonpartisan. And so it's just about, you know, it's about building roads and runways and getting airplanes certified and everything else. And so there's been some talk, interesting talk about, well, he doesn't really have a transportation background, but, you know, he's been a mayor, like you said, and, and, you know, mayors do public works projects. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, obviously FAA is a, is, a question mark there's been talk that steve dixon's gonna stay on he's well liked i think on both sides
1: i think he did a pretty good job so far trying to get the 737 max situation under control you know he was handed a a pretty doggone you know tough road to hoe as we like to say in the south yeah and and got things going and as we record this podcast you know the 737 max has returned to the air recently and so a lot of the training is different now and Boeing did get spanked a little bit on that, for sure, yeah. because of, of other you know reasons and oversight and things like that. But it does sound like he, Steve Dixon is well liked. He is a superb pilot. He has a great background in aviation. He's you know flown for Delta, um, and brings that kind of experience level to that job.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think you know Buttigieg is probably going to be confirmed, and so um, we'll have a new secretary probably soon. I would guess. Want to move on. This this is an interesting bit, I think, that came out of the NTSB. You know, the NTSB obviously has their top ten lists and you know, but they also do recommendations to the FAA and other agencies kind of throughout the year. And a new one from the NTSB is about they want the FAA to better monitor. CFIs. And and it's kind of an interesting way that they've structured this or or recommended this.
1: Well, Ian, I know you're a CFI and you're looking for, you know, I'm guessing you feel good about yourself if you have a a pass rate for your students in in the 90 percentile rank. I know as an instrument student myself and a VFR pilot that, you know, I want to do the best I can but this activity, actually by the NTSB, it comes on the fallout, it comes on the heels of a pretty significant aviation accident in Hawaii that claimed 11 people. They were they were doing some parachuting. In fact, that's why the airplane was up. But there were 11 deaths associated with this one crash over at Dillingham in Hawaii which I want our listeners to also know that AOPA is actively trying to um, lobby to help that airport out because there's been some fallout from that. But anyway, this was a pretty significant aviation accident as far as lives lost. And we found out that some of the, um, some of the findings were that the same flight instructor basically had about a 60% pass ratio for, for others that they were instructing.
0: Yeah. So this is, it's like we said, it's kind of roundabout here if you can follow this, but apparently the accident pilot, the NTSP said had quote, failed three initial flight tests in his attempt to obtain his private pilot certificate, instrument rating, and commercial pilot certificate after receiving instruction from a single instructor. The pilot subsequently passed each flight test. So it's a little confusing the way they've written that if it's like, okay, did he fail Three private attempts, or did he fail one each private, instant commercial, or three times for each? You know, it's like hard, (laughs) kind of hard to know what's going on. But I think the assumption is of the three tests, he failed each one one time. But apparently, this instructor, like you mentioned, they went back and looked, and his pass rate, like you said, was only like 59%. And so the FA, you know, the NTSB is saying, FA, you need to do a better job of essentially weeding out instructors who are sending subpar candidates.
1: Yeah. And this is a significant thing. I mean, I would, aviation is all about safety and we have, and we just talked about the the don't get rusty seminar that we have, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the five most popular ones, but it's all about safety and learn a little bit more every time you go on every flight. And, but there does need to be some oversight and and sort of, you got to set the bar somewhere and the weight does fall on instructor's shoulders such as yourself Ian and maybe a variety of instructors uh, as you're going through the last bit of your VFR you know private pilot training is good i did it i did it that way not saying you have to but that would be good but the overall oversight is the key and there it looks like there's going to be some significant changes with that I did mention it briefly about the fact that this happened over in Hawaii at this one airfield. But the one thing that I did in a little research there with a local TV station was that I found out that 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 was the deadliest accident involving a civil airplane in the United States since 2011. That was according to Jennifer Hamidi of the NTSB board when this story was written, when it was written about a year ago. But that is amazing. Think about all the aviation that we have, and this was, the, this was the deadliest
0: accident at that time. Millions of flights every year. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal record. It's, it's incredible, incredible when you think about it. I like, though, that there is a caveat there, which is airplane airplane. You know the eleven deaths in that airplane. Yeah, remember the Texas balloon crash? There were I I had to look that up. Sixteen people died in that.
1: I do. They were in a basket. That's right, Ian. That was a very large basket underneath that um, hot air balloon, and that also brought into light some of the practices for commercial balloon operators. Uh, and we we've actually talked to some commercial balloon operators as well, and, and some of them are our friends. Yeah, and uh, and there there was a lot of controversy in that too. But um, sometimes out of tragedy does come triumph. So we we do have to keep a positive look about on some of that.
0: That's true. So hey, if you listen to the wrap-up show that we did about the, you know, sort of the the high points and the low points of the year's news. Um, you know that I I panned a little bit the uh, the FAA's Far process in terms of pandemic relief. Uh, yeah, you did. From <laughs> flight reviews, medical certificates, stuff like that, because I just find the piecemeal approach to be a little frustrating. So that is set to expire. The Far is set to expire at the end of January and AOPA and others are not surprisingly here pushing for another extension because as we know, the virus is still raging and all the constraints that people have had all along still exist. Being able to see a doctor, sitting in an airplane with a CFI, everything else. So AOPA is asking for another two-month extension.
1: Well, Ian, this could help a lot of people because as you just were alluding to, you know, we, a lot of us are still mixed up about that. And it would be great to have something across the board that was easily understandable without having to go into charts and graphics. Uh, which AOPA has done to help people before, you know, (laughs) to try to explain this. But the overall deal was, you know, we got, we did a survey and and the responses were, Hey, you know, we need a little bit more help with this and we really want some more relief. And, um, it, it could help, it could help CFIs, it could help those with instrument proficiency, even folks who have scheduled a written test. Some of the test centers are, some are open, some are not open. What if you've, what if you've already paid and the center is closed, Yeah. There are a variety of things, yeah, you know, including me- medicals and, and whatnot.
0: Yeah, that's right. So I think a lot of people still have a lot of concerns. I mean, I would have a concern flying with the CFI right now. So I think you know it's a smart move and and we hope the FAA will uh, adopt it, which I think they will if I had to put money on it, you know they've, they've been pretty receptive to this. I'd also put money on in two months, we'll be asking for another two months because I don't think things are going to change that much in the next two months.
1: Well, I agree with you on that. I think that the coronavirus vaccine that's being rolled out, a lot of states are rolling it out, but it's slow. And that's going to affect flight training and flight operations uh, in the GA realm, as, as obviously, as well as commercial. But, yeah, until things change dramatically, we really do need to have some more relief as far as these deadlines go. And one thing to point out, and, and you used to work down in the Pilot Information Center, and one thing to point out to our podcast listeners, our loyal podcast listeners, is that, you know, AOPA does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And this is yet another example of putting a little survey out there, asking people what they think, and then having some of these results be forwarded over to the FAA for, for the FAA to take under advisement. And, and they really do. They respect us. They respect AOPA, They respect uh, GA pilots. we we're, were the ones out there living it and, and doing the flying. So just a pat on the shoulders of the folks who are um, down there doing our lobbying and our advocacy efforts. They really have a tough job, and this is just one of many things they are keeping an eye on.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. Among those ranks of pilots is, of course, Maddie, the scholarship winner and and successful private pilot now. And you caught up with her, and and just a great talk about you know tips she has for how to apply for scholarships to look competitive, and then what it's like being a new GA pilot. <music>
1: Welcome to Hangar Talk, Maddie Seymour, and I want our AOPA Hangar Talk listeners to know that this is one of the first times we've actually had on Hangar Talk, you know, someone who's won our AOPA scholarships or one of our AOPA scholarships, and we're going to get some good tips from you. Welcome to Hangar Talk, Maddie Seymour.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, tell us a little bit about how you got started in aviation, Maddie, and how old you are now. And part three of the question, where are you going to school now?
2: So I'm 17 years old. I'm a senior at South Lyon high school in Michigan. And ever since I was like a little girl, I've always loved planes. I've looked at them and then, but I never thought I could actually go into aviation, especially since no one in my family is in the aviation industry and so it never really came across my mind. Actually, I actually wanted to be a dentist, so that's kind of ironic. But I am on a travel softball team, and one of my best friends on that team's dad is a pilot for Southwest. And I always found myself in between game breaks, after games, or during warm-ups, just always talking to him about what his job was like, like what he would go up in, and just all the little things about that. And he was like, wow, you seem so interested in this. You should really try it out. And so he finally convinced me and my parents to take me up for a discovery flight over at Crosswinds Aviation in Howell, Michigan. And it was an unforgettable experience. I, I've i always been up in big aircrafts, but it doesn't compare to general aviation. Like it is a totally different thing. And I fell in love with that moment. My parents were very supportive and we started about a month or two later, getting into that program, and also at Crosswinds Aviation, I did a high school program through my high school. So I took a ground school class through there, and I was able to get my ground school knowledge, which also really introduced me before actually doing my official training at Crosswinds.
1: So where is Crosswinds Aviation located? What's the name of the airport?
2: It is Livingston County, Spencer J. Hardy Airport in Howell, Michigan.
1: And so where is that in in relation to, I don't know, somewhere else that we know, either Grand Rapids or Detroit or something like that?
2: It's more towards Lansing Airport, in between Detroit and Lansing, but I'd say more towards Lansing.
1: Okay, and it's a general aviation airport. Does it? Is it a towered field or non-towered? Non-towered. Okay, so that sometimes helps a lot of folks out when they're just starting out in aviation. It's a little bit less of a stress factor involved when you're flying at an untowered field because you don't have to immediately learn the towered vernacular but more pressure on you more pressure on your flight instructor and and really you have to do the self announcing the right way or it could be dangerous
2: yeah no i think it was a great experience having an untowered airport just so i could get my communication done and really pay attention to other people around me like the michigan helicopter and is based out of Livingston County. So there was always that going on. There's a lot of fly-ins there's, so it's a, very active airport. And so it's a good experience for young pilots.
1: So it's an active general aviation airport. And you just mentioned, so the Michigan, probably the Michigan state patrol helicopter is based there or one of them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. We have a similar situation over here at Frederick in Maryland over on the East coast. And, um, and so you do have to share the airport with folks like that. And at an early stage in, in flight training, that's actually pretty good practice, you know, for the see and avoid technique.
2: Right. I know. You're always constantly searching for aircraft so that you don't, you know, make a mistake. And I give a lot of credit to the instructors because they are very adamant about that. And they won't make sure that that's never going to be even a, any problem with that will happen.
1: Well, that's because you have good coaching and good mentorship. And I want to, I want to go down that road a little bit. You mentioned early on in the, in the podcast a second ago that you sort of had a mentor in one of your friends' fathers, who's a Southwest aviation commercial pilot. Tell me how important that was to get you started.
2: Oh, it was so important. So like I mentioned before, there's no one in my family who is in the aviation field. So And when I talked about it with my parents, like they didn't even know where to start. So just having that guide in my life just to look up to and he can kind of get me started And if I had any questions, it was a huge thing. He's also really close with my family, so he was just able to get me a head start and help me if I even had any little small questions.
1: Well, that's so important for young aviators and really even us older aviators, too, to be honest with you, is to have a longtime aviation mentor, someone who could guide us through not just our private pilot, but our instrument, our commercial ratings and on and on. Now, you are in a unique position because you actually applied for and received one of the AOPA 2020 Flight Training Awards, a scholarship award. We gave out a million bucks last year. And in 2021, we're looking to give away a similar amount. Give me a couple of tips, Maddie, on what folks can do, young aviators, what they can do to make a good application for these scholarships.
2: First of all, you just want to be yourself. I remember a podcast about how to effectively write and apply for scholarships, they described it almost as apply for, apply for as many scholarships as you can, as if it's a job, because those hours will pay off if you receive one. And so I was applying for any scholarship that I could get my hands on. My aviation teacher that I mentioned, who taught aviation through my school, but also at Livingston County Airport, She had a list, a whole wall of scholarship opportunities, and I looked through each and every packet, just searching for ones, and I would be applying to new ones every single week, just trying to get my hands on any type of money, because anything that gets you a flight will help you out tremendously. So one of the things I really tried to focus on were being myself, telling my true story, and just emphasizing that this money will just help me. And then I'm going to be doing the rest to get me through my training.
1: Okay. So you hit on a couple of key points here. I want to you know, back them up a little bit. First of all, you said apply as if it were a job. Now, listen, you're 17. I've got a 17 year old daughter. She's a senior as well. And then she has a little job, but now I'm making an assumption that, that neither she nor you have had a ton of jobs. So how do you apply as if it were a job?
2: Well, I actually have a job. Not that it's like a super, it's minimum wage job. So it gets me by a little bit. And like that money was going towards my aviation training as well. But when I say apply to as many scholarships as you can, as if it were a job, I mean, do a little bit, 10, 15 minutes of research of scholarships. I've had people come up to me and say, how do you find all these scholarships. There is so much free money out there. You can look up aviation scholarships and a hundred thousand um, things will pop up and you just have to do the research, see if you're eligible for them. And it's really not that much work. All you have to do is write an essay, a personal essay, which I find actually fun to write looking back at like what what you've already accomplished and how what you aspire to do in your future because if you get one of those, they will pay off. And say you even get a smaller one, five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars. That is, that's three to four flights right there. That is five hundred less dollars than you'd have to pay. And I really think that people need to start looking at all different types of scholarships to help them through their training in any way possible.
1: I agree with you on that, and I know that as part of your application follow-up, you know, we reached out to you to find out what you were doing. And you are also a member of Women in Aviation. And I've written about scholarships a lot. I try to put a scholarship tease in our flight training newsletter each week. And Women in Aviation, actually, they have a lot of scholarships that are available specifically for young women.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've looked into those too. I've applied to those too. And like, Even though I didn't get them, I'm still reapplying. I'm still searching for that free money that people are just willing to hand out. And yeah, I got into women in aviation just because I wanted to give back to my community. And I wanted to support other females thinking about going into this wonderful field. I think society really just, when you think of a pilot, or at least I, and I'm sure a lot of other people think of a white male, and we just get that stuck in our head. So like when I was a young girl, I would always think like, oh, aviation is cool, but a white male, that's not me. Maybe I should just stick to something else. But really having like that mentor to push me to say like, oh, like you can do this just because you're not the, what a stereotypical pilot looks like. You have just the ability to do that or even more.
1: Right, right. So basically let's break out of the mold is what we're saying. Let's, let's look at life a little bit differently, you know, and judge people on their accomplishments, not whether they're guys or girls or young or old or anything like that. I believe that's what you're saying. And I totally agree with you on that. Hopefully things will change. It's been a slow change to come about, but hopefully by the time you have proceeded through your flight training, things will look a little bit differently. Right. Speaking of which. You got your private pilot certificate recently.
2: Yes, I got it in the um, first week of November.
1: So tell me a little bit about what you did going into that. A little bit about maybe, did you, did you spend a lot of time studying or did you feel like you were pretty confident? That kind of thing. Or, or was there just one or two things that were holding you up and you were just a little nervous about it?
2: Yeah, well, actually, I had a lot of the ground school and like book work, um, so I knew the facts of aviation. I can tell you pretty much, for the most part, anything if someone, if the examiner were to ask me a question, just because I am a person who likes to read the textbook and likes to understand it. But flying, on the other hand, and I got everything down with maneuvers, everything down with cross country, and I felt really confident. But about two weeks before, we were doing my stage three check, and I was just, I could not do stalls. I was, I would go up, and I would just be uncoordinated, and I just could not get out of my head. And I just kept going over and over and over again with my instructor, and I could just I really struggled to get that. So I really think it was a mental thing though, just because I know how to fly the plane. I know how to talk about the plane. I know how to say my radio calls and I feel very confident in that way. But just knowing that someone's going to judge the way I fly, because not everyone flies the same. Right, We have our little nicks, We have our little different ways we like to do things. And I was nervous that my examiner would not prefer the way I would fly or do a maneuver a certain way, even though you do have to pass the ACS requirements. But so that was really what I was getting in my head. But after I got past that point that, okay, this is what you need to do. And you can do it satisfactory, or you can do it unsatisfactory. I'm going to do it the way that I fly the plane and I know it's a safe way to do it. And if the examiner doesn't like that, then I will, I will do more training. I'll do it the way he wants it. And then I will go back a second time. I look at the check ride. I was also very, very, very nervous going into my check ride just because I've heard from multiple podcasts and YouTube videos that your private pilot check ride is the scariest just because you don't know what to expect. And they're always saying, oh, it's a learning experience. He's not going to teach you stuff, but if you do something wrong, like you know what to fix and you're going to fix it. So I thought it, and it's just a way to see if you're a safe pilot. So I was thinking if I don't pass my check ride, I don't even, not that I definitely want my private pilot's license. I was just saying, I don't want it at that time because if he thinks, he deems me to be an unsafe pilot, I don't want to put myself or my friends or my family in danger so i'd rather have to do it another time to um work out those kinks and eventually get the certification that i deserve
1: your attitude is outstanding i really appreciate that and you know what i i uh, uh, aspire to be more like you but that that makes sense if you aren't getting it exactly right and we need a little bit of uh, coaching or a little bit of it, more help a little bit more practice then you're right. That check ride turns into another lesson. It's nothing to be ashamed of, afraid of, or anything like that. The bottom line is that we all want to be ex- as, as good a pilots as we can. Right. And whatever it takes to do that is what we want to do. So I, I admire your attitude and that was a great attitude for that, that private pilot check ride. Now, how did you do on that check ride?
2: I actually did surprisingly really good. There were a few things that I messed up on, like my times. And he, all I did was I looked, so my times for my cross country, I was going, I was a few minutes off. And I just said to him, I said, okay, um, my times look a little off. I'm going to adjust my checkpoints and I'm going to assume that my fuel is going to be blah, blah, blah. You know, I adjusted it like that. And I really think if you mess up in your check ride, it's not over. Just say what you would have done differently. Say how you're going to fix it. He wants to see, or the examiner, her, uh, she or him, are going to want to see how you're going to problem solve. If there is a problem, what are you going to do to fix it? What are you going to adjust? so that you can still have a safe flight. That's all that they're looking for. So when I did mess up, that's exactly what I did. And I kept going.
1: That's good advice, sage advice. And, and you have hit the nail right on the head, which is, hey, you know, if things aren't going well, let's stop and regroup. And this is what I'm going to do. That's really cool. Now, did your, did your mentor at Southwest tell you a little bit about that? Or is that just something you came up with?
2: Yeah, actually my flight instructors and then also a friend um who took his checkride a few months before that, they were really emphasizing that if you mess up, it is not the end of the world. My flight instructor constantly told me like when we would be practicing, like, okay, you messed up. What are you going to do now to fix it? She wouldn't have me start over. She'd have me move on from that point just to fix the problem as a whole, if that makes sense.
1: Sure. Perfect sense. That's a great attitude and great way of doing that. So now, when you think back a little bit further now, and by the way, congratulations on getting your private pilot certificate in November. Thank you. Before we move on to something else, I was going to ask you about now who's your who's your first passenger.
2: My first passenger was my mom, and we went over to my aunt's house. We went over to the Michigan Stadium, and then we just did some touch and go. She wanted to see. Landings and we also did a steep turn. She loves steep turns, <laughs> she's oh not afraid of heights and stuff. Yeah,
1: well, that's a little bit different because most times, um, when you're going up for the first time, with especially it's usually with a family member, you know, the, the key is to not scare them too much right. and you know, make those turns <laughs> gradual and things like that. Your mom sounds like a daredevil.
2: I know she is. She was like, Can we go any steeper? I was like, No, let's probably not do that. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to break any of that stuff.
1: That was pretty cool. It sounds like we might have another pilot in the family if you can encourage (laughs) her a little bit more. Yeah, I have to. That's pretty cool. Now, you do have your sights set on future plans to become a professional aviator. What's your ideal job?
2: Well, I've been looking into many different aspects of the aviation industry. Obviously, commercial. I've been looking into corporate a little bit. Actually, a year ago, I went to Operation Good Cheer, and I met One of the Falcon pilots at Masco, and she uh, gave me a tour hangar of their corporate hangar, obviously, Masco. And that was a really cool aspect because it was just a small community. Like, I like how you knew your passengers, but also the airlines are a little bit more stable, so I don't know what I'm going to go into. And then there's also UPS or, like, cargo.
1: Well, you got Amazon. You got uh, just waiting in the wings. You got, you know, even Walmart. You know, it's got an aviation uh, division.
2: Yeah. So I'm really keeping my options open. I'm not set on one specific thing, although I do tend to lean more towards Southwest just because my mentor is a Southwest pilot. So I kind of have a soft spot for them, Uh but yeah, I'm really keeping my option open and seriously just see whatever's available for when I do get to that point in my life.
1: Yeah. Well now um, in your immediate future, obviously you're, you're a senior in, in high school, This is a pretty tough year. A lot of folks are are going to school virtually. I know my daughter is. It's a little tricky now. But now you do have your sights set on college. What are a couple of the schools you're looking at for college? And do they have any aviation tie-ins at all?
2: Oh, yeah. Every school that I'm looking into has an aviation program or professional flight program. I've actually applied to a lot of schools, just trying to see what school I can get the most money from. And also, I just kind of want to go on a fun adventure. So I'm looking at a lot of out-of-state schools, too. Like, I'm looking at Auburn University, Ohio State, Bowling Green, Arizona State. I toured Embry-Riddle and University of North Dakota, Purdue. (laughs) So there's a lot. And Western Michigan, of course. But I'm really leaning towards the out-of-state universities just because I do kind of want to get different experience. Like I've had experience with snow here. Now I kind of want to get some mountain experience. Just
1: Going all over the place. Or in the case of Embry-Riddle, some beach experience and some some swimming in the ocean. Yeah, Right. I can hear you. You're you're talking to me from Michigan. I'm in Maryland. It's pretty cold right now. But um, I can imagine. Well, that's pretty cool. Now, so Auburn University, I just uh, read a little something on them the other day, and their program is going gangbusters. They've got basically the largest incoming freshman class that they've had in a while. Embry-Riddle had the same situation last year. So in all seriousness, you're entering the field or you will be entering the field at a time where there's still a high demand uh, for aviators because it's going to take a couple of years to go through school and get out. And the the commercial downturn we're seeing right now is probably going to be over pretty soon, certainly by about midway through your college career, if not before that. So you'll really be positioned well for that. Now, thinking about the perfect job, I asked you a little bit about that, and we are talking about maybe Southwest or, or other opportunities. I'm just throwing this out there. With, with space travel the way it is right now, do you see any aerospace or space travel adventures in your future?
2: I mean, I've never considered that, but hey, I'm up for the challenge if it presents itself.
1: I think that's a good attitude as well. Let me ask you this real quick, Maddie, about some of the applications for college, because I think that we're having a good conversation with how do we prepare ourselves when we're young people for some of the scholarships. You said several things that just made total sense. Be yourself, apply for as many scholarships as you can, and basically do the research. Now for college, you know, because a lot of young people are going to listen to us. Are there any tips for getting into college that you could share with other folks?
2: Well, I'm still hearing back from a few of my colleges, but and just seeing how much money I get from each of those. And are you asking how to get scholarships or how to just apply it in general?
1: Just apply in general. I mean, what's your thought process? You did mention scholarships were part of that thought process. So I'm assuming you're kind of looking at A, where do I want to go to school? What'd it be fun, new, different, and exciting? B, could I get a little bit of financial help with that? And then see, maybe see professionally, what does it where does it get me?
2: Right. So I think the people who are um, look at the college applications and look, read your your essay for being admitted into the school are looking for how are you unique, unique, and how are you going to use that uniqueness to benefit our campus and our community at this university? So I obviously took advantage of me working towards my private pilots license at the time when I did apply back in October. As like, here's my passion, here's um, how I'm pursuing it, and this is how these characteristics that doing this, that working towards one specific goal in mind, what characteristics build off of that, and then how... I will be helping that college in my future if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, because not only are you helping you, but really in a way you're helping the college. If you if you pop out the other end and you're a successful aviator and you go to an aviation school, that's really in, in a way it's helping you, it's helping them at the same time. But so basically you're looking you're taking a little bit of more of a global look at things and really weighing you know your personal aspirations with some of the other other things that we can actually put a figure on. That, that sounds good. Now, as far as aviation goes, flipping back to aviation, you know, we talked a little bit a while ago that you just got your private pilot certificate, you earned that. What is next, aviation wise, uh, for Maddie? What do you want to do next with what you've already done?
2: Well, I've, so as you, we've already talked about, I have my private pilot's license, and now it's just getting all the other ratings. I'm going to go to whatever school I decide in the end. And there, I'm hoping to get my instrument, multi-engine, CFI, commercial, double CFI. And then after that, I'm hoping to get a job somewhere and teach other people just to build up those hours. And I've even actually considered going to um, somewhere where you could do like flying people around for, what's that called? Where you like island hopping? I thought- Island
1: you know hopping I mean? and sightseeing. Yeah, you read my mind exactly. <laughs>
2: just to build up some hours for fun. So I've actually considered going down there after I get all of my training done, uh, just for like a year, just for fun. And then with that remaining hours that I need going to be a CFI somewhere.
1: That sounds like a great way to look at the future. And it sounds like you already have started some of your future aviation adventures with, you know, pursuing the instrument and the commercial. I'm, I'm a lot older than you are, and I'm still an instrument and commercial student, but I hope to change that at some time. In that's awesome future.
2: though. Any age doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, kudos to you for starting out at a young age. And I guess really uh, you were 17 when you got your certificate because you're still 17. So that's great. And no one else in your family flies right now, but we're hoping we change that. Maybe start with mom, right?
2: Yeah, after she hears this podcast, maybe she'll be convinced.
1: That sounds like she will. So anything else you want to add to uh, to the folks who listen to us? Any other bits of encouragement or anything that you notice that you just want to share?
2: I just say, don't underestimate what you are capable of. You are, there's so many things that push me back, held me back in my training, and I just... I just kept pushing forward to reach that ultimate goal. Like when I was down or when I I would think about what I wanted as an end result. And sometimes that's, oh, I just want my private pilots. But sometimes that's, I want to work for Southwest. And I would just take a deep breath and then continue doing whatever I was struggling on just to push through those little challenges that we have here and there. Just always take a step back and look at the big picture in your life.
1: That is a great, a great outlook on life, and really a good way to end our our brief conversation, Maddie. Listen, I hope that we cross paths in person in future sometime, maybe with Operation Good Cheer, which I'll let people know um, that we had a Operation Good Cheer guest recently on the Hangar Talk podcast. and it's an outreach that happens every every December where general aviation pilots bring presents to foster kids and things you know and other folks who are needy. So the fact that you participate in that at, at a relative young age is pretty you know, a good thing and probably sets, sets your sights on how to help other people as well.
2: Right. That's, I'm just trying to give back to my community. So far, I've been involved in aviation for one year, and it's given me endless, countless opportunities. And so I just want to give
1: back. Well, giving back is important, Maddie, and you gave back to us today, uh, gave us a little bit of insight on how you got started in aviation, some great tips on completing those scholarship applications, as well as some excellent tips for folks who are going to go to college and how they could look at an aviation school or another school and basically maximize their efforts. We appreciate you giving back to us today at AOPA on Hangar Talk and wish you all the best.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: David, that was a great talk. She's she's quite a go-getter.
1: She's great. I hope that I meet Maddie in person. Actually, uh, she and I talked on the phone. We were hoping that our paths will cross one day for real when things settle down. She had those five tips. I wrote a little story about that too. You know, Be yourself, apply frequently, consider it a job, do your homework, and personalize it. If you keep those things in mind, that goes a long way for anything you want to do in life. And for, from a 17-year-old to, to think about that, Ian, I am very impressed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen.
1: and I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org/hangertalk. We're also on Apple and Google Podcast pages, or you can just say, "Hey Alexa, play some Hangar Talk for us."
0: All right, we'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA: Your Freedom to Fly.